I'm Liz Sauer, and this is Ghosts and the Burbs, a podcast of ghost stories from Wellesley, Massachusetts. A warning, adults who use adult language told me these frightening tales, these ghost stories, aren't for kids. I know I said I wouldn't be back with a new story until next week, but I need some distraction, and I'm guessing that all of you do too. I desperately need to shut my brain off from real-world horror. To escape from the news, from my children. I apologize in advance if you hear them in the distant background of this recording. From Chris loud-talking the clients into his earbuds. From the dwindling package of Twinkies calling to me from the basement. From the four elderly dogs who awake from every nap disoriented and thinking it's time for their next meal. From the obsessive thoughts of what's to come. And so I've done what I always do when I need an escape. I found a delightfully spooky little story, and I'd love to share it with you. I spent hours upon hours in the woods as a child. A creek ran behind our home, and so much time was spent building dams, searching for salamanders, and making half-assed attempts at treehouses. The last activity came to an abrupt halt, when a rusty nail sticking out of an old wooden board slid right through my mud-encrusted kid and into my left foot. I limped for a week, but it was the 80s, so my family just thought I was being dramatic. There was talk of determining the date of my last tetanus shot, but as far as I can recall, the issue was simply dropped. And since I didn't end up with a telltale lockjaw, my time in the forest continued. I hoped for a glimpse of magic in those woods, but I never did encounter any. Save for the feeling of pride from spending an afternoon building a sturdy dam across the creek, returning the following morning to find the surrounding forest floor completely swamped. Of the many emails I receive from readers and listeners, by far my favorite are those that involve woodland monsters. I adore a demon story, but a cryptid tale well told? There's nothing like it and they are truly few and far between. Most cryptid sightings are disappointingly brief. The mere glimpse of a Bigfoot scurrying into the woods, a 10-second stare-off with a mothman, a dogman spotted on the side of the road as one speeds past on a foggy night. So you can imagine my glee when I received an email from a woman who had a full-on encounter with several creatures of the forest. As so many of the messages I received do, Carrie's email began, I've never told anyone about this. And she went on to share her complete story with me over the course of several email exchanges. Her brush with the strange happened in her home state of Connecticut. It may be telling that the second she graduated from high school, she moved across the country to Arizona, returning home each year only for the week between Christmas and New Year's. When Carrie was eight years old, she and her best friend, Annie, spent a lot of time in the woods behind their homes. Surprisingly, she couldn't recall the name of the forest near her house. I looked it up, and based on her parents' home address, it is the Pudatuck State Forest in Connecticut, close to the New York border. From what I could gather online, it's a good-sized state park with lakes and a bunch of walking trails. So what did Carrie and her friend do in those woods? They built fairy houses. Little stick structures decorating them and creating tiny furniture held together by the same string they used to make friendship bracelets. We got quite good at it, Carrie wrote. At first we built little lean-to structures, but then we figured out how to build proper houses. 
In a follow-up email, Carrie clarified that the structures were only about a foot and a half tall. She went on to say, I think Annie had the idea to bring along the bracelet string. It turned out to be a great idea. It allowed us to create these charming little homes out of the twigs and branches we gathered. We lived just two doors down from one another, and we'd ride our bikes into the state park every morning. This is when kids could take off for the day and no one thought anything of it. I would never let my kids do that now. Even without seeing what I saw, I would worry they were being kidnapped or hit by a car and dead on the side of the road. But it was a different time. We had a lot of freedom. Carrie explained that she and her friend rode down an old fire road for a ways before ditching their bikes and taking a certain trail out to their favorite spot in the middle of the forest, a rocky place with a small stream flowing through it. There, they spent hours building what she referred to as fairy homes. We got really good at it. We had to be home by one o'clock for lunch every day, so the afternoons were spent drawing up plans for the houses. The girls took the setting into account building the structures to fit in with their surroundings. The little houses were beautiful. I wish we'd thought to drag a camera out there with us, Carrie wrote regretfully. It wasn't until we started making furniture for the houses that we began to notice things weren't quite how we'd left them the previous day. How so? We built small tables and chairs and even little beds for the homes. We realized that while we could only work on the houses while we were in the woods, we could fill up our backpacks with twigs so that in the afternoons we could build furniture. We cut up old fabric to outfit the tiny beds and make little tablecloths. Then we strung beads and created all sorts of decorations for the houses. It was really fun for a while. How many of these houses did you actually build? I asked. She told me they created seven in total before shifting their focus to decorating and furnishing them all. Sounds so fun, right? The day we realized something was off was pretty much a morning like any other. But later on, we did realize that the day was a little different because the day before that was the first time we decorated the houses with wildflowers. Maybe that's what attracted them. We were unloading our backpacks when Annie noticed one of the houses. The furniture inside it had been rearranged. It sounds crazy, I know, but when we drew up our little architectural plans for each house, we made simple floor plans for them planning what furniture to create and where to put it. The house she noticed was a two-level thing, an upside-down house, with a sleeping area on the first floor and the living area on the second. I had gone with my family on a ski vacation the previous winter, and we'd stayed in a house like that. The bedroom in our fairy house had two sets of tiny bunk beds. The beds had been moved from the first floor to the second. The little couch and table from the upstairs had been moved down to the first. And it wasn't like some critter had knocked them around. The furniture was intentionally placed. I think we both suspected each other of doing it and pretending that we hadn't. I suspected Annie, anyhow. But at the same time, something had changed. We didn't stay in the woods as long that day. I think we sensed something wasn't right. The next day, the linens, all the little blankets and pillows and rugs we'd created for the houses, had been moved into one of the upside-down houses. And again, they'd been placed nicely, intentionally. We debated for a while, wondering if maybe some other kids had found the houses and were messing around with them. But the way we talked about it, I think we both knew that wasn't the case. We put everything back the way it was and continued working on the new decorations we'd planned. But again, we went home early. We didn't say out loud that we were spooked, but we definitely felt that way. 
Carrie went on to explain that she felt as if they weren't alone. It didn't feel like we were being watched by a person. I'm not sure how to explain it other than something shifted. The woods felt eerie, like we shouldn't be there. The following day, they returned to the site and found that three of the houses had been moved alongside one another. The furniture within and the linens, as Carrie referred to them, had also been rearranged. The houses looked lived in. There were little bits of what I assume was their food, pieces of berries and leaves on the tables. Annie was the one who saw the footprints first. They didn't have any toe marks, but they were definitely footprints. They made me think of what a Kendall foot would make. And the way the houses were lined up, it was like a tiny little neighborhood. But still, even though it was freaky, we weren't scared at that point. Honestly, we were excited. What kid wouldn't be? We left the houses as they were and got to fixing up the houses that hadn't been moved, hoping we could attract more of them. And Annie had the idea that we should bring them food. Them? The fairies. Somehow we just knew it wasn't people moving the houses. There was magic all around it. I'm sure that sounds ridiculous, and maybe it was just the wild imaginations of eight-year-old girls, but we were right. And I've gotten that feeling since then. It's unmistakable. I live near Sedona now, and I hike a lot. There are some caves. You would have to feel it for yourself, but the vibe I get in those caves is the same one that I had in the forest. It's magic. Whatever we saw in those woods, I'd bet money that their cousins live here in Arizona. But we brought them blueberries the next day. We shouldn't have done it, but what did we know? We thought we were dealing with glittery cartoon fairies, like little magical ballerinas with wings. That couldn't have been further from the truth. We left the berries in a Tupperware container so the chipmunks couldn't get to them. They were gone the following day. In their place was a collection of smooth pebbles. They'd literally eaten the berries, gifted us with pebbles, and then put the top back on the container. The gift exchange went on for several days. Carrie and her friend placed trinkets and sweets in the container and received tiny pebbles in return. By this time, all seven of the houses had been moved into a horseshoe formation, facing the narrow stream. The furniture was swapped around too, and it was obvious there were fairy families living in each home. The last day Annie and I went to that spot in the woods, it was pouring rain. The forest was darker than usual, and we both had this feeling that we shouldn't go, but our curiosity went out. They must have thought the weather would keep us away. They didn't hear us coming. We walked up on them, doing some sort of ritual. We counted 17 of them. Horrible, ugly little things with stick bodies and long, mushy-looking heads. They had short gray patches of hair or fur all over their bodies, and their hands had long, skinny fingers like pine needles. They stood in a circle, hunched over something. Annie and I crept up on them, mesmerized. When we got closer, we saw that they'd tied two bluebirds together with some of our friendship bracelet string. They were swaying back and forth together, and there was one fairy who was taller than the rest. She was obviously the leader. She picked up a big stone and held it over her head, above the birds. Annie yelled out. She said, no or don't or something like that, and the fairies all turned around and saw us. We were frozen in place. And then the big fairy dropped the rock and said something to the other ones, 
and they all crouched down and then sprung after us like tiny little dogs. We sprinted down the path, screaming. We made it back to our bikes, but one of them grabbed onto my leg and almost knocked me over. I was able to shake it off, but not before it sliced open my calf. For weeks, I was terrified I'd come down with some unnameable, incurable disease from that cut, but it healed up just fine. Anyways, we made it back home, and Annie and I never went back into the woods after that. We spent the rest of the summer safely indoors, rehashing the whole thing over and over again and making friendship bracelets. Wow. Needless to say, I had several follow-up questions for Carrie. How big were the fairies? Uh, Maybe seven or eight inches, definitely less than a foot. What did they sound like? Well, get this. She said they sounded like rustling leaves. I asked how. I mean, like, how could she make out that noise over pouring rain? She said she didn't really know, just that their language was whispery and rustly, sort of raspy. What did she mean when she wrote that they moved like dogs? They bent over and elongated their bodies so that they could run on all fours. Sorry I didn't explain it well, because the way they ran actually reminded me more of squirrels. I think if you caught sight of one out of the corner of your eye in the woods, you wouldn't think anything of it. You'd think you saw a squirrel. Hmm. Shivers. Her parents still live in the house she grew up in, and I asked Carrie if she ever considered going back into those woods, back to the place where she and Annie had seen the fairies. Never. I haven't stepped foot into any forest since that day. No way would I ever go back there. Well, there you have it. Yet another reason to stay out of the forest. If you heard any strange noises during this recording, I promise it was just one of the four dogs sleeping on the bed behind me. At least, I hope that's the case. I am wishing you all the very best. Stay sane, stay healthy, and stay the fuck home. This has been Ghosts in the Burbs. Good night, sleep tight, and don't forget your nightlight.